To be a believer in Christ, you must believe in grace, grace for yourself and grace for others. The fact is, no matter how far from Jesus some may seem, you never know how the Holy Spirit may be at work to transform their hearts. Hi, I'm Charles Morris, and welcome to the Great Stories Podcast. And today I want to share two stories of grace with you. One from a former bank robber, and another from a former slave runner. Both met Jesus and saw their lives transformed. I shared these stories back in 2009. Ken Cooper was the bank robber. You'll hear his story in just a moment. The slave trader was John Newton, writer of the hymn Amazing Grace. And I know you'll be blessed to hear both these stories. And if you want to learn more about John Newton and his most famous song, then may I encourage you to listen to our last episode with scholar and author Dr. Bruce Heinmarsh. We also have his brand new book available for you on our website called Amazing Grace, The Life of John Newton and the Surprising Story Behind His Song. A book I played a small role in getting into print. Just visit us at haventoday.org to find out more. And until then, I hope you enjoy these two stories of grace. Welcome again to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris, and uh, I want to welcome a new friend of mine who's with us on the line from Jacksonville, Florida. His name is Ken Cooper. And before we start talking about your life story, a Christian we should know, Ken, welcome to this program. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm really honored to be talking to you, Charles. Well, it's good to have you, and a friend of mine kept telling me, you need to talk to Ken Cooper. You need to talk to Ken Cooper. And finally, I started reading a new book that you have out, and I started hearing more about your story, and I thought, my goodness, we've got to have Ken Cooper on this program. Let me just ask you flat out, you've written a book, why did you call it Held Hostage? Well, to... uh... To my shame, Charles, I, I took hostages uh, when I robbed some of the banks that I robbed for uh, about 13 years. Oh, okay, let, let me stop you right there, Ken. Okay. You didn't rob a bank. Mm-hmm. You just said, plural, robbed banks for 13 years. Yes, sir. I, I tried to be nice uh, to the ladies. It was always a woman that I, I took with me to buy more time during the robberies. Uh, I'm so embarrassed and ashamed by that now. At the time, I was so blind and so controlled by Satan that I felt like uh, by being mannerly and nice to them, in fact, some of them called me a gentleman or would say that, well, he was so kind to me, uh, but I terrorized them. And uh, I didn't really understand or know that until later when Christ came into my life. Well, and I guess uh, anyone listening to us in Florida right now, and we're on a, a number of stations in Florida, uh, they would probably remember the media branded you, the gentleman bank robber, didn't it? Yes. Uh, at the time, uh, there were several of us uh, that were uh, going about our robberies in a very mannerly way. Uh, so I wasn't the only one, but um, it was very surprising to me that I would be called a gentleman. In fact, the first time or two, like most uh, robbers, uh, I would uh, read the newspapers from that city uh, to see what the, what the press had said. And 
it just really shocked me when they when they said that I was very nice to them, even though I'd taken them hostage. And so, I, I guess it helped sell newspapers, also, Charles. I'm not sure about that. Wow, you were not a Christian when you were robbing banks, but the bottom line, though, of that is, though, you had been around Christianity most of your life, hadn't you? Yes. Um, when I was 13, I, I saw my father. He was a coal miner. Uh, my mother was a coal miner's daughter, and I lived in the hills of the country. You can tell by my voice that I still speak very slowly and softly, as many mountain people do. But uh, I saw my father uh, go to a mourner's bench and, and fall at that mourner's bench and cry out to God. But I was a 13-year-old kid making fun of him and ridiculing the cross. I think my primary problem, though I was raised from that point on by Christian parents, was that I I couldn't believe in the cross. Uh, I couldn't see how it could have any value. Uh, And a blood sacrifice uh, to me was just, you know, that turned me off. So I made fun of the cross until I found myself in a jail cell in Tampa asking God to, to wash me with his blood. And, of course, uh, Jesus did, and I became a new man in that moment. This leading up to your becoming a serial bank robber, you didn't start out robbing banks, did you? In fact, most most people in your life thought you were a pretty honorable, morally respectable, hardworking person, I well, think. Well, I was hardworking. <laughs> <laughs> I... I worked hard at robbing banks just like I worked uh, otherwise, and I was successful uh, in public relations. Uh, Unfortunately, at the same time, I was promoting the state of Kentucky as advertising director. I was out uh, occasionally doing my hobby, and uh, I I worked for a Christian college uh, in Kentucky and uh, regret uh, so much uh, that my life was a sham, that, that there was a good guy, bad guy kind of thing going on. Generally, the good guy was in control, but occasionally the bad guy would want to do his thing, so here I'd go. Mm. To this day, you've told me this before when we've spoken, uh, it, it's painful for you to think back on. Mm-hmm. You didn't just start out as a, you know, the Bible says the heart is deceitful. You weren't a bank robber from the start, but you were a sinner from the start, and, and your life of crime began in, in little yes. tiny ways, yes. didn't it? I, I don't know if uh, each person uh, born has uh, a tendency to lie and to steal, but, but I certainly did from a very early age, and I enjoyed it. Uh, uh, this other little friend of mine, when I was about eight, we became serial shoplifters. <laughs> uh, we did what we call sneaking, and By the time I was a teenager, then it became uh, shoplifting and then joyriding. And ultimately, uh, uh, when I was in college, uh, I was a junior in college, uh, making good grades, uh, had a good future. I I went out, uh, and when my wife uh, became ill, I I started stealing uh, from the person I was working for in order for us to take a month's vacation. Uh, the doctor said she might live about a year. And so uh, I said, well, honey, I'm going to take you on a month's vacation. So I stole $100 from my employer to do that. And 
you know, I, I regret all those things, but that's just part of what had happened. And that sin pattern is what the Lord used then to finally bring you to faith. Let's move it forward a little bit here, Ken. And if you just joined us, yes, this is Haven Today. You're listening to Ken Cooper, who uh, was a bank robber, a professional bank robber, and as he said, was his hobby. But Ken, you were finally arrested in um, in Tampa by the law. Right. Tell us about that, and then tell us about how the Lord nailed you then. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate the second part uh, just as yes. much as the first, if not more. Right. Um, I was uh, robbing a bank in North Tampa, and a plainclothes officer showed up and shot me as, as I was leaving the bank. Uh, I was so deceived, Charles, that I thought when I charged him, just showing him my gun, uh, that he would fold. But he was a trained shooter, so he shot me through the first door, uh, the first glass door, as I was leaving the bank. And, of course, uh, I went into black as I felt the bullet. It was like it happened in slow motion, Mm -hmm. that I could almost see the bullet, and then I could feel it entering my body and and the glass uh, shards uh, piercing my body and falling to the floor, waking up with an officer standing on my back. Um, I said on the way to the hospital as I was taken in the ambulance, uh, it's over. Mm. Um, Mm. And in a way, I I wish that it happened many years before because it was so crazy, but I was out of control. I was addicted to the adrenaline, Charles, that when I'd go into a bank to rob it, I was doing it probably more for the addiction than I was for the money. Wow. Wow. You found yourself in jail? Yes. You actually got, what, a 99-year sentence, I think? Yes, sir. Yeah, because of uh, taking hostages, the the judge guaranteed society that I'd never walk the streets of America again. And that was right. Um, But what he didn't know was that six weeks prior to that sentencing, Christ had come into my heart as I'd cried out to him and he had washed my sins away with his blood. Uh, so that the judge sentenced the bank robber. Uh, the bank robber was mm. actually dead. Mm. <laughs> but, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in terms of the law, it, it doesn't uh, have the mercy and grace of God, and rightfully so. So the judge sentenced me to 99 years. How did the Lord come into your life? You were sitting in a cell. Did someone share a Bible with you? Did someone visit you? Uh, you had heard the gospel mm-hmm. all your life. Mm-hmm. How, how did the How did Jesus finally break through before you were sentenced to 99 years in prison? Okay. Well, it started uh, once on the lamb. I, I saw Ben Kinchlow on the 700 Club. I didn't know who he was, but this was in the middle of living a double life. Uh, and... Uh, I stopped in a motel and uh, to to let things settle down and before I went on home. And uh, he was pointing at me saying, you're not only running from yourself, you're running from God. And uh, as I remember it, he said, you're living a double life and you'll never be pleased. You'll never be happy. And I thought, good grief, this guy, you know, I was paranoid anyway. And I thought, this guy, is uh, he's got an inside track on me. So... I turned, I turned him off, but then uh, years later when uh, I was in jail and receptive to hearing the gospel, 
this man came in, a man named Sid Barrett. Uh, he's now 94 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw him the other day, and I thank him very often because he didn't condemn me. Mm. He uh, and I'm I'm emotional. Yes. Uh, remembering. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I think Sid knew he was a sinner too, saved by grace. He didn't condemn me. He uh, he just let me know that I could be forgiven. Yes. I th- I thought it was impossible. I'd hurt so many people, but uh, Sid uh, led me down that road. Uh, I repented uh, not only of my sins but uh, asked Jesus to forgive me for ridiculing the cross Mm. I guess you might say from that day forth I took up my cross (laughs) Sid said something to you one day did you pray with him or did you pray back when um, you were alone what happened mm -hmm. he came to see me week after week and uh, for about six or eight weeks and uh, at first, it was just a way to get out of the cell. I was exceedingly angry, uh, primarily at myself, uh, for having been dumb enough to get caught, and uh, that was before I accepted the Lord. Uh, that was the, the attitude, but uh, once uh, I realized that, hey, there's something to this man. Uh, there's a genuine love and concern for me as a human being that I hadn't seen in other people. Mm-hmm. And so he... Uh, he led me to Christ through love. The love of Christ from someone who had caught the love of Christ and then shared that love with you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, and now, can you actually are giving back to the Lord? You're involved in prison ministry, aren't you? That's 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 your life now. Yes. Uh, I like to say I'm serving uh, a life sentence as a prisoner of hope. Mm. It's very interesting. One thing I know you do, you actually... When you speak, when you go to churches all over the place, you wear orange. Why, why, why is that? Okay, the, uh, in most of the, the systems, uh, the most violent, uh, the, the vilest criminals uh, have to wear orange uh, to alert people as to who they are. And I'm not uh, really proud of, of what I did, but I... I want people to know that God will save the vilest, Mm -hmm. and that's the reason I wear that orange, is to let people know that the Lord Jesus Christ will come into the vilest sinner's heart, and there is hope. Mm -hmm. There's there's hope for the hopeless. There's those people who are walking in deep despair, some probably hearing this uh, program today. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't care how bad it looks, there is hope in Christ. Hmm. That is music to my ears, Ken. Thank you for sharing that with me and all of us. Well, not everybody's been robbing banks like you, but of course we know what Jesus said. Even to think certain things is as evil and as sinful as actually doing it. And if we all looked at our own hearts, we've done more and worse than robbing banks. Give me some advice here. There's somebody listening right now who needs to hear a message from you. What what message, as my brother in the Lord, do you have for that person as well as all of us? Whatever it takes, uh, God is going to help us get ourselves, usually through our bad decisions, we get into a circumstance or a situation where we lose control. And that's 
when we need to reach out to God and say, Lord Jesus, if you're real, I need your help. Come into my heart and take over my life because I just want to, don't want to go on the way I am. I'm, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I want to get away from this madness. And uh, he will be there. Uh, he's, he's always there waiting. It's just that uh, we're not willing to give up our control that we think we have of our lives when in reality we don't have control. Mm. I think you better lead us in prayer. Pray for that person who's listening right now and they know they're a sinner and this may be the moment when they too get to know Jesus. Father, I, I believe in my heart that there are people uh, listening right now that have reached that point where they know that it's beyond themselves to regain some semblance of sanity and some understanding of purpose. Lord, and I pray for those individuals right now that, that are hearing this, that uh, wherever they are, in their car or at home, wherever they're hearing this, Lord, that they would just stop right now in their hearts and they would ask you for help. Because I know, Lord, that as you came into my heart while I was deep in that dungeon, and you gave me a ray of hope. I pray, Lord, that that little bit of light, that spark of hope would come into their being, that they might continue uh, to have some kind of optimism toward the future. Lord, I, I thank you for this opportunity uh, to, to pray for these people. And uh, Lord, if my uh, having been such uh, a sinner in great darkness, I pray that if someone can find the light, uh, as you help me to find the light, I pray that they would walk out of that darkness into the light of Jesus Christ. I pray in his name. Amen. Ken Cooper, thank you for being with me here on Haven Today. What an unforgettable story of one man's miraculous redemption through Jesus Christ. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Well, that begins one of the most beloved hymns of all times. The author of the words was John Newton the self-proclaimed wretch who once was lost, but then was found, saved by amazing grace. John Newton was born in London on July 24th, 1725, the son of a commander of a merchant ship which sailed the Mediterranean. His godly mother shared Jesus with him, but died when he was only six, and his father remarried not long after. When John was 11, he went to sea with his father and made six voyages with him before his dad retired. In 1744, John was pressed into service on an English man of war, the HMS Harwich. Finding conditions on board intolerable, he deserted, something you didn't do from the, the British Navy, but was soon recaptured. He was publicly flogged and demoted from midshipman to a common seaman something else you didn't want to be back then. Finally, at his own request, he was exchanged into service on a slave ship, which took him to the coast of Sierra Leone, and he then became the servant of a slave trader and was brutally abused. Early in 1748, he was rescued by a sea captain who had known John's father. John Newton ultimately became captain of his own ship, one which plied the slave trade. Although he had heard about Jesus from his mother, he had long since given up any religious convictions. However, on a voyage going home, while he was attempting to steer the ship through a violent storm, 
he experienced what he was to refer to later as his great deliverance. He recorded in his journal that when all seemed lost and the ship would surely sink, he exclaimed, Lord, have mercy upon us. Later, in his cabin, he reflected on what he had just said and, and began to believe that God had addressed him through the storm and that grace had begun to work in him. For the rest of his life, he observed that anniversary, May 10th, 1748, as the day of his conversion, a day of humiliation in which he subjected his will to a higher power. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. He continued in the slave trade for a time after his conviction. However, he saw to it that the slaves under his care were treated humanely. In 1750, he married Mary Catlett, with whom he had been in love for many years. By 1755, after a serious illness, he had given up seafaring forever. During his days as a sailor, he had begun to educate himself, teaching himself Latin and other subjects, devouring the Bible as never before. From 1755 to 1760, Newton was a surveyor of tides at Liverpool, where he came to know the great preacher George Whitfield. John became Whitfield's enthusiastic disciple, and during this period, Newton also met and came to admire John Wesley of Methodism fame. Newton's self-education continued, almost homeschooling, you could call it, and he even learned Greek and Hebrew. He decided to become a minister and applied to the Archbishop of York for ordination, and the Archbishop refused his request. He never went to Oxford, never went to Cambridge, but Newton persisted in his goal and subsequently he was ordained by the Bishop of Lincoln and became the parish pastor of a church in Alney. That's a Buckinghamshire market town known for its hand needlework and fine lace at that time. Newton's church became so crowded during services that it had to be enlarged, but there were also others, like those in the sewing industry, who thought church-going was above their station. So Newton and his good friend, the poet William Cooper, went to them. They held services outside of church and came up with ways to teach the Bible through poetry to those who could not read. Revival came to Olney, to people of all walks of life. Sharing the grace of Jesus Christ was always on John's mind. It's how he was saved, and he knew it was the only way others could be saved. Through all the years of ministry and fame, Newton never forgot how far he had come. I'll never forget visiting Olney once and asking permission to look in what had been his vicarage but is now a privately owned home. And there on the third floor of the house was his study, a large room with a fireplace. And even to this day, over the fireplace, where he could always see as he prepared his Sunday sermon and midweek messages, he placed a plaque reading in large letters, "'Since thou wast precious in my sight,' Thou hast been honorable, but thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondsman in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. The King James English from Isaiah 18.4 and Deuteronomy 15.15 in a little plaque that you can still see today over the fireplace at what was the vicarage of John Newton in Olney, England. Cooper, his friend, helped Newton with his religious services and on his tours to other places. They held not only a regular weekly church service, but also began a series of weekly prayer meetings. 
and their goal was to write a new hymn for each one. They collaborated on what's called the Olney Hymns, which achieved lasting popularity. The first edition was published in 1779. It contained 68 hymns by Cooper, 280 by John Newton, including the one we now sing and know so well. Now, Newton did not write all the verses we sing today to the hymn, but he wrote most of them. The origin of the melody is unknown. Most hymnals say it's an early American folk melody. But the Bill Moyers television special on public television a few years back, called Amazing Grace, speculated that it may have originated as the tune of a song that slaves sang. I like to think that's true. Newton was not only a prolific hymn writer, but he also kept extensive journals and wrote many letters. And historians credit his journals and letters for much of what is known today about the 18th century slave trade. In 1780, Newton left Olney to become the pastor of St. Mary Woolchurch in London. And there again, he drew large crowds and influenced many, among them William Wilberforce, who would one day become a leader in the campaign for the abolition of the slavery that he once endorsed. Newton continued to preach until the last year of his life, although he was blind by the time he died in London, December 21st, 1807. Infidel and libertine, turned minister in the Church of England, he was secure in his faith that amazing grace would lead him home. When he died, Newton left behind the epitaph that remains today on his gravestone. I'll never forget reading those words, standing at his gravesite in Olney, a couple of hours north of London. It returns to this same twin theme of slavery from sin and unmerited redemption. It reads, John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was, by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. In a funeral sermon for Newton, his friend and fellow minister Richard Cecil quoted him late in life, Whatever I may doubt on other points, I cannot doubt whether there has been a certain gracious transaction between God and my soul. One thing John believed a lot in is prayer. He said prayer is the great engine to overthrow and rout my spiritual enemies, the great means to procure the graces of which I stand in hourly need. Can't you identify with those words of John Newton? He said, if the Lord be with us, we have no cause of fear. His eye is upon us, his arm over us, his ear open to our prayer, his grace sufficient. His promises unchangeable. Words from John Newton on Haven Today. Thanks for joining me on today's episode of Great Stories with Charles Morris. I also want to thank Ken Cooper for joining me so long ago. At the beginning of this episode, I mentioned a newly released book called Amazing Grace, The Life of John Newton, and the surprising story behind his song. I want to mention that this biography reads more like a novel if you'd like to learn more about John Newton's incredible story, just head over to haventoday.org. Select Amazing Grace in the products and make your gift to Haven Ministries. We'll get you a copy right away. And if you want to hear more content like you heard on today's episode, why don't you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, help us get the word out. Leave us a five-star review. 
You can also go to haventoday.org and sign up for our weekly email and discover additional episodes posted on the blog. And as always, thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris. Thank you.